Hey there, this is Sean McMahon. Thanks so much for listening to my podcast and thanks for supporting the ministry by lending your ears, your minds, hearts, all that good stuff. Don't be afraid to share this here message with a friend or a family member, even a stranger. Have at. It's not like it's going to bite. These messages are recorded live at the Community Baptist Church of Gayhead and Aquina on Martha's Vineyard, Massachusetts, and the good old U.S. of A. If you're ever in town for a visit or suddenly find yourself shipwrecked on the southwest side of our lovely little island, climb up the clay cliffs and come on down to our little old chapel for our weekly 10 a.m. service. No need to wear anything special, just bring your special self. May God bless you. Today's scripture reading is from the book of Matthew, chapter 4, verses 1 through 4. Then Jesus was led by the Spirit into the wilderness to be tempted by the devil. After fasting 40 days and nights, he was hungry. The tempter came to him and said, If you are the Son of God, tell these stones to become bread. But Jesus answered, It is written, Man shall not live on bread alone but on every word that comes from the mouth of God. Thanks be to God. Get cozy, everybody. So this is going to be a little sermon series where we're going to touch on the temptations of Christ as he was in the desert. And we're going to follow each of these temptations. And this first one was when the devil says, hey, here's some stones if you're hungry. You're the son of God, turn them into bread, okay? So, in the season of Lent, traditionally, as we were talking about, Christians will give something up in order to imitate Jesus and fast with him, just like he fasted in the desert before he started his ministry. So the first question you got to ask is, why fast at all? Because here's what God said about fasting. I'm going to say this again. Is such the fast I desire a day for men to starve their bodies? Is the fast I desire, is it bowing the head like a bulrush and lying in sackcloth and ashes? Do you call that a fast? A day when God is favorable? No. This is the fast I desire to unlock the fetters of wickedness and to untie the cords of the yoke to let the oppressed go free, to break off every yoke. And it's to share your bread with the hungry and to take the wretched poor into your home. That's the poorest of the poor. And when you see the naked, clothe him. And not to ignore your own kin, your own family. So God said this through the prophet Isaiah. As we know, Jesus came to do all these things that Isaiah said, to unlock the fetters of wickedness, to break off every yoke, etc. So his ministry was the true fast that God desired. His ministry was the true fast. But... Before he started his ministry, he fasted. He fasted. 
So the question is not just why do we do this fast of Lent for 40 days, but why did Jesus? Why did Jesus do this? Moses was on the top of Mount Sinai for 40 days fasting before he received the law to prepare. Elijah, the prophet, was 40 days on top of Mount Horeb. God sent 40 days of rain in the flood of Noah. And Noah was, was in the ark for 40 days preparing for a new world. Jonah came out of the belly of the whale and gave Nineveh 40 days to repent. So Jesus was 40 days in the desert. The Bible says that after he was baptized, the Spirit drove Jesus into the wilderness and he fasted. And this was real fasting, no food. He got really hungry. And once he was hungry, that's when the devil tempted him. So there's a lesson here that temptation comes with hunger when we most long to be filled with sustenance when we most long to be filled with sustenance and the, the devil says if you're truly the son of God just turn these stones into bread and this is how Jesus overcomes the devil he says man shall not live by bread alone he quotes scripture man shall not live by bread alone but by every word that proceeds from the mouth of God I'm not going to be ruled over by my hunger. I'm going to be ruled by God alone. Now, that's easier said than done, right? I'm not the Son of God, and neither are you. <laughs> Last time I checked. So, most, most likely you've never turned stones into bread, and you've probably never even been tempted to. It's probably never happened. But I'm sure you've struggled with other temptations in your own life. Other types of temptations. And like with Jesus, these temptations that come upon all of us, they come when we're starving. And when we're hungry. When we're spiritually starving. And this hunger, this hunger resides in the parts of, of our souls where we're most spiritually malnourished, you know. Where all of our old trauma, where all of our old pain, where all of our old fears live. That's where we're most spiritually nourished, malnourished and most hungry. And they're not hungry for bread alone. They're hungry for the Word of God. And I don't care how good your childhood was, right? There's, there's bits and pieces from your childhood, everyone in here, that made you who you are. And some of those bits and pieces were not very fun. And some of them hurt real bad. And that's just when you were a kid. Because you're so fragile and delicate. Of course you have things that cause you such pain. But life doesn't get any easier after that either. When you're growing up, you go through life, you take lots of hits. And yes, they make you stronger, but nonetheless, you've sustained wounds that make you hunger for sustenance somewhere deep inside. And God is the bread of life who feeds that hunger. The Spirit. And Jesus said, 
I'm the bread of life, and whoever comes to me will never be hungry. So we take this spiritually, and it's true. But it doesn't mean that those things that cause us pain and suffering will end. These things that make us hungry. They're going to keep on keeping on. That's how life works. But they will feed us. When we have the bread of life, the things that make us go hungry, they'll keep hitting us. They'll keep causing those wounds that make us yearn for, for nourishment. But when you have the bread of life, these things will feed you. King David, who wrote the Psalms, he said, My tears have been my food day and night. Well, people say to me all day long, Where is your God? In times of adversity, when your faith is being tried, the tears you shed will not be tears that make you go hungry. Like David, my tears have been my food. I'm shedding these tears from my faith. Faithful tears will feed your soul. And they'll make you whole. When you're praying for your breakthrough and it doesn't seem to be coming soon enough, you're going to pray on your, knee, on your knees as low as you can go. And you're going to shed those tears. And, and what you're hungry for, it might seem to be delayed. But what's really going to satiate your hunger is God Himself. God knows your need and, and He's going to take care of you because you're His child. And we hear that over and over again. And that's our faith. He's going to satiate your hunger if you accept His will and live by His word. And when you're praying for your needs, don't just pray that your needs be met, but pray that God meets you in your need. That's what tears being your food mean, you know? If they're tears of desperation, where you don't have your faith, it's one thing. And that's, that's starvation, that's spiritual malnourishment. But when you have faith and you're just saying, God, when? God, when? I know it's coming, but when? Those tears, those tears will be your food day and night. Even when people mock you and say, where is your God? Those, those tears, even though they're painful, they're consolation. So, Jesus fasted because his hunger made him more reliant on God. That's why people tend to fast. When you're well fed, you don't really say, God, feed me, please. I'm starving. But when you pray, give us this daily bread, and you're starving, even the words in your mouth are going to taste different, you know? That's when you really need God. That's why people fast. And our God, he says, he's the bread of life. And he knows we're hungry. Now think about this. We've been hungry from the beginning. Our story is just peppered with all these stories about our hunger. Adam and Eve were hungry in the beginning. So they ate the fruit of the tree of knowledge. And that changed their destinies in our lives forever. And Isaac was hungry and asked his son Esau to, to go hunting for some meat for him. But while he was on the hunt, his brother Jacob just slaughtered some goats that were in the yard and cooked them up faster. And when he served that to his dad, he got the blessing that would have gone to, to Esau. 
And that changed all of their destinies and all of our lives. And when God was sending his final plague on the Egyptian people in the time of the Exodus, he ordered his people, the Hebrews, to cover their doorposts with the blood of a lamb. And while, while the firstborns of Egypt are being slain, he commanded them, have a feast inside your home. So the angel of death was, was going through all the neighborhoods of the capital of Egypt, slaying the firstborn of Egypt. All these Hebrews, they were feasting in luxury. They are eating. And this changed their destiny. And this changed our lives. And after this, when they were freed, they were, they were 40 years in the wilderness before they reached the promised land, just like Jesus was 40 days in the wilderness before he came to proclaim the good news that the kingdom of God was at hand. Jesus gets baptized and prepares for his ministry with a fast. Right? Look at all these other stories. How, how does Jesus' fast end? How does, how does his fast end? He goes into this ministry. And how does the ministry end? It, it ends with a, with a feast. Do you remember what I'm referring to? The Passover feast, the Last Supper. So just like this, God prepares us with fasting for the feast He's preparing us for. Fasting is always a preparation for a feast. And He's preparing us for a heavenly feast, one which is going to keep us well fed and, and it's going to satiate our deepest hunger. So Jesus says, which of you, if your son asks for bread, is going to give him a stone? And just like that, God has bread for his children. Ask, it's going to be given to you. Our Father isn't going to give us stones. He's going to give us bread. So there's, there's this old saying that I grew up with, because my grampy was a Zen Buddhist. And he said that a cup that's already full has no more room for wine. You ever heard that? Something like it? And the saying applies to know-it-alls. Uh, and it's basically they're unteachable because they think they already know everything. The cup's already full. So there's no more room for wine. But in the kingdom of God, we have a cup that overflows. And and this cup that we talk about in the kingdom of God, it's, it's not our mind, like in the old Zen saying. It's, it's the cup of our heart and our soul. And it's overflowing with the wine of God's spirit of love. So when we think of fasting, let's think about this cup. The cup of the kingdom that we have. It's not a matter of having an empty cup to make room for something we don't have that we're starving for but it's about having an overflowing cup that we pour out as a love offering to the world. Think of fasting in that way. We're not emptying ourselves to be filled with something so much as pouring out this, this cup we have that's overflowing constantly. God doesn't want us to fast and starve. He wants us, he wants us to, to have a fast or even a diet of love of sharing and of righting wrongs and of easing suffering and loosening bonds. 
Man shall not live by bread alone, but by the word of God. The word of God. And the word of God and all the law and the prophets are summed up in the golden rule. Treat and love your neighbor as yourself. Right? Jesus always narrows the law and the prophets down to that. The word of God is to love your neighbor as yourself. And I've heard so many people asking the question in different places, asking me, how can I be more spiritual? How can I be more spiritual? How can I find the answer to life, the meaning of life? How do I find enlightenment? They ask a lot, how do I shed my ego? I've tried so many things. I've done yoga, I do meditation, I read books about psychology and spirituality and even neuroscience. And, and I, I want to transcend my ego so I can be more spiritual. And I've tried all sorts of fasts, too, because they say to do that. Juice fasts, water fasts, different diets. I want to be more healthy, more whole. I want to be a more realized person. And they always tell me, and I, I hear this all the time, you probably all hear it, too. It's all about transcending the ego or dissolving the ego, you know? That's why you meditate. That's why you fast. All those things of, of the spiritual but not religious life that I grew up with, which are actually just as re- religious as they are spiritual because some of my spiritual but not religious friends fast way more than anyone religious I know, you know? And all these things, all this fasting, uh, is to transcend the ego, to get out of your own head, to get closer to God, right? Let's think about it for a second. What does that even mean? I think there's really only one way that anyone can transcend your ego if you want to put it in those terms, and, and that's love. Love. Because when you allow God to use you as an instrument of His love, that ego of yours is just going to step aside, figuratively speaking. But I say, and the Bible does too, that, that God loves you. Right? He made you to be who you are to be special and unique he wants to use you as an instrument of his love and he made you as his instrument in a very particular even peculiar way he made you very unique he made you a cracked vessel but a vessel for his love a special purpose a lot of people are trying to fix this crack he made you this way he wants that light to show through, right? He wants that cup to overflow. He wants that love offering to be poured out of you. And and I think God's a lot more interested in carving you into who you are than leaving you as as this egoless, uncarved block. He wants to see blossom into who you truly are, and that happens when you love. You step out of your own way when you love other people. You, you do put your ego aside when you love other people. It's that simple. It doesn't have to be that abstract. To, to love is to pour yourself out. And to be who you are in full and to offer yourself fully to others in service. That's what it means to pour yourself out and to put your ego aside. That's true self-denial. When they say harsh fasting and denying yourself food and denying yourself company of others and denying yourself 
the good things of life, or at least the basic things of life, that's, that's all old news. That's not good news. That's not what the gospel tells us. St. Paul told us a lot about that kind of stuff. He said, such restrictions have an appearance of wisdom with their self-prescribed worship, their false humility, and their harsh treatment of the body, but they're of no value against the indulgence of the flesh. Therefore, since you have been raised with Christ, strive for the things above, where Christ is seated at the right hand of God. Set your mind on things above, not on earthly things. For you died, and your life is now hidden with Christ in God. That's a huge mystery, folks. That's a mystery. Everything we long for is hidden with God where we already have it. That, rea that reality is already happening. Hidden in Christ with God. And the greatest promise of God, our resurrection, is hidden with Him. Our eternal life, our abundant life. We already have the prize if we use our spiritual eyes. Now, Paul talked about this over and over, and so did Jesus. And he stunned the Sadducees, who didn't even believe in the resurrection, when he basically said, this is already a reality. And just to be clear to the theologians in here, I'm not saying that the resurrection already happened. That's, that's called the heresy of Hymenaeus. I'm not teaching that. I'm applying a hermeneutic. Here's what Jesus said. Concerning the dead rising, have you not read about the burning bush in the book of Moses, how God told him, I am the God of Abraham, the God of Isaac, and the God of Jacob. He's not the God of the dead, but of the living. If you don't believe in the resurrection, you are badly mistaken. He was saying to them, Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, they're alive. That's why the Sadducees were stunned. They're already alive. These guys who died millennia ago, they're alive in God. Their life is hidden in Christ with God. And we have even more proof on the Mount of Transfiguration who appeared alongside Christ. Do you remember? Elijah and Moses. Elijah and Moses. Now, was that the moment of the resurrection that everyone's waiting for? Of course not. But what happened was Peter, James, and John, they had a vision. They saw a spiritual reality with their spiritual eyes. And they beheld the reality that Jesus spoke about before he even raised Lazarus. What did he say? He said, I am the resurrection. I am the life. The eternal life. That's why the book about the resurrection, the end times, the book of the Apocalypse, that word means revelation. And it's the book of the revelation of Jesus, of Jesus Christ. It describes the time when Jesus is revealed. Jesus is the resurrection. It describes when all this is revealed, when Christ is revealed, Christ who is the resurrection. So Paul tells us when we're raised to life in Jesus, we're resurrected in him. You have way more than you know. That's what everyone's waiting for in life. We, we all know we're going to see the grave one day. All of our hunger, it's going to end. Right? But in the grave, that hunger doesn't get fed. There's just nothing. 
But that's not what we look forward to. That's not the God we pray to. That's not the God, the God we have hope and expectation in. We have the resurrection. You have eternal life in Him now as we speak. This is what Paul teaches. He taught this 2,000 years ago. Still true. He's the bread of life. The bread of eternal life. Have faith in this truth. Abide in it. And what does he ask of those who believe in him? Simply that you abide in his word. And what does this word require of you? Simply that you love your neighbor as yourself. He's not saying, if you believe in me, make sure you observe Lent properly, and then after that, do your Easter service properly, and observe all these traditions that we try to observe. He's not saying you got to do that. He's saying you got to love your neighbor as yourself. That's what it's all about. That's the fast that God prescribes to you. And if you do this fast, you will never hunger. These spiritual truths might seem hidden because they're invisible and maybe it can be hard to believe but if we see with spiritual eyes just like Peter, James, and John on the Mount of Transfiguration then we'll see that Jesus, the bread of life He is the resurrection Uh, The skeptics like to say that they saw an illusion right? that they were hallucinating but what they saw was a vision of a higher reality and a revelation of the truth. It wasn't an illusion. Beside the glorious vision of the truth which they saw in the transfiguration, it's almost like this entire world is more of an illusion than that. Because this world, it's changing every minute. As the Bible says, it's passing away. And in our lives, you know what this is like. We chase after possibilities that flicker in and out of existence time and time again. We chase after them, but they slip out of our fingers like the sands of time. What's important yesterday is no longer important today. And so on and so forth. We come and we go, and when we die, it's almost as if we were never here at all. When you lose a loved one, sometimes you say, it feels like they were never here. Because once they're gone, they're just gone. You know that feeling. But in Christ, our real life, our true life, it's hidden, but it's eternal. It's eternal. It's not coming and going like that. It's not passing away. It's not like the sand, the sands that just slip through our fingers. It's more real in some ways than, than this is now. Not that I'm saying that this isn't real. Let me be clear. But by comparison, this, this is constantly changing. There's nothing to hold on to. But our rock is in heaven. So, may you go about your spiritual fast, this fast that we've really dug down deep into today. May you go about it with rigor and devotion, your fast of love. May it be rigorous and full of devotion. And not everyone is going to understand your spiritual life this religious life this that they're not going to understand how it can be such a a filling form of sustenance for us the world tends to look everywhere other than Christ to fill its need but 
just remember the story of Jesus in Samaria. The disciples say, hey, you look hungry, Jesus. You need to eat. And they offer him food, but he says, I have food that you know nothing about. And they wondered what he meant, and very charitably he said, my food is to do the will of him who sent me and to finish his work. That's our food, too. That's our food, too. There's plenty on the menu in the restaurant of the world, right? But what's on the menu in the restaurant of the way, the truth, and the life is to do the will of our Father. Your food, just like Jesus, it's also your fast. You see how that works? And your fast is a great feast. So may you all pour yourselves out as a love offering. And may your love be so great that people see the resurrection in you, just like Peter and James and John saw it on the mountain. Amen? Amen. Thank you for listening to the Sean McMahon Podcast. Visit SeanSellickMcMahon.com for more information about his ministry. For more about Sean's music, please visit workmansong.com